The word that we are going into now, um, which correlates with where we were last week into this theme, as you would see behind me uh, coming up, the pace of Joshua, which is the name of the series that we're entering into uh, at the beginning of the year, in fact, the end of last year, coming into the beginning of this year, I really felt the Lord lead us down the direction of, uh, and the vision for this year, the, the mandate, the assignment uh, that, we're, that, that we're to wear and wear proud is that we are a community who are setting the pace, uh, setting the pace or pace setters. Uh, you know, any one of us would know that last year um, we, as the planet, were kind of had the pace set for us. And even if we should go back into negative terms in the context of whatever that looks like, resembling last year, we actually have an opportunity as faith-filled sons and daughters of God who believe in Jesus, spirit-filled, to make a decision that we're not just going to be ruled by what government tells us. I'm not talking about rebellion, let's go like crash, like Parliament House, it's probably an itchy dodgy topic, but, but uh, I'm talking about actually taking control of our spiritual lives, our physical lives, and our family lives, and we will set the pace for the be- and give the best kingdom example that we can. So what we've been doing is we've looking and started to, and I'm coming back to now, looking at different examples of people in the Bible who actually give us almost clarity around what it looks like to be a pace setter. And we're in this series of uh, Joshua, as I mentioned before, and the pace of Joshua. And as we start the series, it's interesting, I'm looking at my Bible now and it's covered, there's a few different Bibles that I study from which are covered in notes, and the honest truth is we're probably going to be in Joshua for a while. Like you only have to read Joshua chapter 1 and like there's about 6,000 sermons in there, different topics uh, and so forth. But we're going to get started because otherwise we'll be here all day. Uh, I want to speak to you today and we're going to read a portion of Joshua chapter 1. If you don't have your Bible, the scripture will come up behind me. Let me encourage you to try and bring your Bible to church. I was talking to Pastor Kent the other day, who's not here, so I'm allowed to talk about him. And, and, and I said, what's your favorite Bible? As I have this new Quest Study Bible, which, 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 which answers a lot of questions that you find in Scripture as you're reading. And he's like, oh no, I'm, I'm just technical, I just stick to my iPad, which is fair enough, because I use my iPad all the time. But, but I want to tell you, like Pastor Richard used to say, like, there's nothing more special than your own Bible. Uh, being able to smell it, being able to find Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, to go through all the scriptures to know where it is. And, and there's just something powerful about the Word of God. I'm passionate about the Word of God. Let's read it. Eh? Joshua chapter 1. After the death of, the Moses, of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' aide or assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all the people in the la- to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will give to you, as I have said, I will give to Moses. From the wilderness to the le- and this Lebanon, as far as the great river Euphrates, and the land from the Hittites down to the great sea towards the going of the sun shall be your territory." You know, I just want to stop there and make a point. It's interesting that what God instructed and promised and prophesied and declared and whatever narrative and language you want to put to, that he just spoke to Joshua and he clarified that it was his plan for Moses and it was his plan for the forefathers before that his people would always arrive at a place flowing with milk and honey. 
you know that plan still hasn't changed, right? That we would still arrive and not just arrive now that we have Jesus living in us through the person of the Holy Spirit and we are saved. It's not just about arriving at heaven or, or, or when we retire, we're able to live mortgage free. That's his plan. No, his plan is that we would live a life full in relationship and intimacy with him. The plan has never changed. The scripture goes on as he's promising this and he's declaring this from the wilderness, the sun, your territory. It says in verse five, no man shall be able to stand before you all of the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Pretty encouraging words. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, he said. I I just want you to repeat this after me. Be strong strong. and of good courage. For this people you shall divide an inheritance in the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be what? Be strong and very courageous that you may observe and do according to all of the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn to it from the right or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe and do all according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous let me say that again and for then you will make your way prosperous interesting it's revelation for myself prosperous and then you will have good success last verse for this morning have i not commanded you to be strong and courageous do not be afraid nor dismayed for the lord your god is with you and wherever you go For the Lord your God is with you and wherever you go. There was this time, and most of you would know in this room, and I may have spoken about this once before um, in my life. If you would know me, my happy place is is usually on a vessel or or in the ocean. Uh, In other words, I love going out on a boat. Whether I've got a fishing rod or not, if I'm cruising down a river, I'm all good. You know what I mean? Uh, I had a privilege of going out for a couple of hours on Friday on our day off with my little three-year-old and we just went to a sandbar and almost got stuck and like that was the highlight. I'm fulfilled. That's like I'm good for another six months. Uh, But there was this particular point. I've had a few different boats in my boating career of being normal and not moving signs into the middle of the road. And, uh, And I've had a couple of boats. I remember this one time we had this house in Broadbeach Waters and I was pulling out of my driveway. It was actually more than what I could afford. We were paying it off. It was a big Haynes Hunter. It was about six meters, had a hundred horse Yamaha. And I was pulling out by myself to go offshore, to go fishing to my happy place. And I remember turning around looking in, in our old asbestos house on the second story. All I could see was two little faces going like this at me through the window. And I could see my wife standing there looking at me like this. And, you know, as I pulled out, I thought about this. I thought, wow, I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit. It could have just been my like conviction within myself. I thought, man, I'm going out in a boat and I'm still trying to pay off. And she's in a house that she doesn't even want to be in. And I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll sell the boat. I'll put a swimming pool in the front yard. Then I'll be happy and she'll be happy. And so I sold the boat, put a swimming pool in the front yard. Three months later, she's like, I want to sell the house. We've got to move out. Don't want to be here. No one was happy. And I was like, oh, I sold my, my dream boat. And so we waited a little bit longer. Uh, or I should say, I waited a little bit longer. I've learned in my time of marriage and I'm still learning uh, to, to, to be patient with my requests. And timing is very necessary husbands every man in the room knows what i'm talking about 
but then after a certain amount of time, I started to suggest, babe, I wouldn't mind getting another boat. Starting to feel a little bit like claustrophobic, starting to feel like I need to do something, stopping in the canals uh, and fishing uh, before and after church and flicking lures isn't, you know, like, it's not like cutting the mustard anymore. And it's interesting, she finally gave in and she said, okay, you got a budget of $3,000. I was like, yippee. And long story short, I want to show you the boat that I bought for $3,000. Now, this is my boat. This is my handsome little son, Hunter, who's now like twice the size. Uh, it's a car that I no longer have that I wish I still had. Um, and, and this is the boat that I bought. It is called Immaculate. Um, from the outside, um, initially, when we turned the motor over, it seemed immaculate. I thought, you know what? Immaculate will do for now. Knowing in my mind that later on my wife will get sick of Immaculate seeing all the other flash launches or going up and down the river and she might think, hey, maybe we should upgrade from Immaculate. So again, I'm learning as a husband. Uh, but this is maiden voyage. This is me and my little boy. As soon as the sun came up, I'm like, we're going down to the river. Uh, the only bit of safety gear that was on this boat on this particular day was uh, this rope that you could see coming down the front. Uh, uh, and the life jacket that my son had, uh, let me just say that because there is live stream watching. And let me show you another picture. This picture describes our journey on Immaculate. See, the yellow line that you can see is Southport Bridge. And coming back here is we are sort of, I guess, over here somewhere right now. And this is Bud's Beach. And we jumped into Immaculate, maiden voyage, no oars, don't need an anchor, don't need even our fishing rods because we're just like thrilled to be out in our happy place, right? So the yellow line describes about how long our motor kept going for. <laughs> maiden voyage, $3,000 boat, Immaculate, you'd think this thing would be like, like the bee's knees, like I was like, cool. Lucky I didn't go the other way and go offshore, which is like, that's where I want to be over here. But see... Where the color line changes, I realized that even though I was broken down, I was in the current. And the current was actually heading up this way. If you're in the boating world or you've been on the river, you know that you can't see uh, where the red mark intersects with the yellow mark. You can't see that, but you know that the current runs up the Narang River. And it's funny because after I pulled the motor about a hundred times and then repented for some of the thoughts that I had, Hunter looked over at me when I sat down. We had like those double old seats, like one seat faces the steering wheel and the one behind is to like watch the person who's like skiing behind the boat. Not that anyone's ever skied behind Immaculate um, or ever will again. Uh, but I sat in that seat and I called my wife and she kind of did the wife thing and said, look after my son. That was really all she was worried about. And, and see, here's the deal. Uh, we were floating down the Narang River. It's funny when you're floating in the current, when every other boat's like going at a speed and you're going in the same direction as them, but your boat is like sideways, like, like, <laughs> like you're, just, you're just kind of waving to everyone. You're meant to have this, this big sheet they call a V sheet that you hang out the side. I'm too full of pride to even hang that thing out there. Maybe if I had to saw the reeds or the valetudes, I would have got a toe. But, you know, Hunter looked over to me and he said, Dad, are we going to be Okay. And it was at that point I looked the other way, I thought, oh, Lord, help me. And seriously, I put my feet up on the side of the boat and I said, mate, we're fine, we're in the current. And the truth be told, uh, I actually landed, or we landed, 
the current literally drifted us without any assistance from anyone straight into the beach of Bud's Beach. There's a couple of options that I had. I could have jumped off the boat and uh, grabbed the rope with my physique. Obviously, I would have made it about three meters. Um, uh, not to mention that there's about 7,000 bull sharks. So if you're visiting the Gold Coast, don't go swimming in, in the Narang River. Um, you've heard it here first. But you know, the truth is when I read the scripture, the story came to mind because it kind of represents God's plan for our lives. When we come into relationship with God and we give Jesus our life, instantly we step into the current, the flow, the plan for God. And it's not even about the end result. It's just the fact that you're in His will and His purpose. But the boat is actually, metaphorically speaking, the decision that we have to stay close to faith to stay in intimacy with Him, to stay in a place where, where we're holding on, where we're pressing in. Uh, could I even be a pastor and say, turning up to church, reading your Bible, praying. See, there were all these things that were going through my head. But when I look at what was going on here for Joshua, it actually stood out to me that Joshua was setting the pace in the context of God saying to Joshua, you are someone who is going to lead the people. The current was already there because it was there with Moses and it was there with the forefathers. Not only that, remember, Joshua had actually already been into the promised land as one of the 12 spies. Joshua and Caleb, I just assume those were the two spies that carried the grapes out of the place because they were so positive and thrilled about God's plan of where the current was going to take all of the Israelite people. And when they came back, we know that Joshua and Caleb were the only ones that gave a good report about where God's current or the plan was meant to take them. Not only did Joshua have that up his sleeve in the context of leading the people as a pace setter, Joshua also, we have to remember, had his hands, as we spoke last week, the hands of Moses laid on him. And before all of the Israelite community, there was an appointment of wisdom. And the Bible says that at the laying on of hands from Moses to Joshua, that the spirit of wisdom rested upon Joshua from that day forward. Let me translate that. Everyone in Israel recognized that the authority that was on Moses was now placed on Joshua. You know, I believe there's, there's probably two or three groups of people in this room. The Lord spoke to me about this early this morning, and I was going to skip through it, but I think it's relevant because someone from the last service said, Pastor, you spoke straight to me. There's people in this room who are like Joshua. You know the word, you know that there's a plan, you know that there's fulfillment, you know that you've even had encounters, you've said yes to Jesus, you're in the boat, but you're just barely holding on. And there's another group of people that, you're in this room, you've been invited in, maybe you're in a program, maybe you walked in and wanted to play the guitar on the stage, but now's not quite the right time. I don't know, whatever reason it is that you're here, and you just know that there's a reason that you're here. See, Joshua is an interesting predicament because he's been put in a place to lead a community of people. In other words, he is a pace setter that is to set the pace for the community, and God has given an instruction. I don't know which group of people you fit into, but I think the answer of what I'm about to speak about or the, uh, the explanation and the few thoughts that I'm going to share with you, there's too much to really give you like point by point, is going to speak to some people in this room. 
the undercurrent of what I want to say to the second group of people is I feel like God is saying, don't jump ship. I posted this yesterday, and this isn't just about going to another church. This isn't just about going to another country. Hey, do I go home? I literally feel like God was saying that there are people who are thinking about just abandoning their faith altogether. But I want to remind you that even though you might not be able to see it, even though you might not be able to feel it, even though you might not understand why something is not happening, you're still in the current of God if you still profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because the moment that you've confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that the Spirit of God came to fill a void. And from that day forward, you are saved. And we believe this by faith. But it's a decision if we're going to stay in line with faith. There's a couple of things, in fact, that stand out to me. And why can I stand here so confidently and say, hey, uh, the current is a good place to be in. The current will eventually lead you to shore. I quoted last week, Revelation 19, verse 10, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Man, when I pick this up and I read the Gospels, right now we're reading it with the interns and we've just read through the book of Luke. And it's amazing when you're reading five different people's interpretations of one passage of Scripture, how much gold comes out. And when I read about Jesus doing this miracle and doing that miracle and going to this place and going to this place, and then when I hear what the Bible says, that all things are possible for those who believe. So if I've seen Jesus lay hands on the sick and eyes have opened, then that means it's possible for me to lay hands on the sick and see eyes have opened. I might not be in the part of the current where I'm actually seeing the tangible manner manifestation yet uh, but should I pursue and push in and stay in the boat one day that might just happen whoever's about to jump out of the boat I want to tell you don't jump ship that's the title for this morning don't jump ship there are a couple of times in fact four times it's interesting that God mentions the word be strong we could talk about courageous but for the time that we have left we we can't he says be strong and if you're Hebrew in this room, excuse me, but the word translated as chazak, chazak, be strong. This word means be courageous, be valiant, be manly, or I don't know how you'd say that, womanly, strength of woman, strengthened, established, firm, fortified, obstinate, mighty. Generally, the word is a strong and strength, the word strong and strength and carries a wider range of meaning than the word just appears like we're reading it in Joshua. It occurs nearly 300 times in the New Testament and a couple hundred times in, excuse me, 300 in the Old and a couple hundred in the New. For example, to encourage, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 6, the Bible says that David and all his men gives a story, the narrative, they've just come back from, from, from war. And as they come back from war, him and all of his men come home and, and their village has been stripped all of their wives, all of their women, all of their kids, all of their gold, all of their silver, the village has been plundered. And David catches wind that his men are about to kill him or stone him. And there's a famous quote, if you're in the church world, you would know that the Bible says that David went away and strengthened himself in the Lord. It's the same meaning of the word chazak that God said to Joshua, you need to strengthen yourself in the Lord to lead these people across the river the Jordan River, into the current. 
And it's interesting because if you look further, understanding the context of this meaning, it actually means that David made himself strong. I'm just going to speak from my perspective because then I might not offend you. There's been plenty of times I've thought, why didn't Pastor Richard strengthen me? Why isn't Chrissy strengthening me? Why isn't my board strengthening me? Why, why isn't Pastor Mike strengthening me? How come my house leader's not telling me to do this? How come? But you know what God's actually thinking? God's saying, man, I've given you everything. Start to strengthen yourself. And, and here's the thing, I'm not trying to offend anyone or first-time visitors, but there are four times where God says to Joshua, strengthen yourself, where he actually uses this word strong that we're talking about, the chazak. I hope I'm not like, like destroying the original language of that. Or courageous and strong and good courage. The first time it's mentioned where God says, Joshua, you have to be strong is in verse 5. In verse 5, excuse me, in verse 6, he says, Only be strong and courageous that you may observe, excuse me, that's the second time. Verse 6, be strong and of good courage, for this people you shall divide an inheritance. Do you know what I believe God is doing with Joshua? And this is just my perception. Because Joshua has the spirit of the Lord resting upon him in the context of the laying on of hands of wisdom. And we have to remember that God is in dialogue with Joshua. Like like this isn't a camp meeting like, 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 like this is Israel, right? And Joshua's here and God's saying, hey, so Joshua, I want you to strengthen the Lord. You're going to lead them over. I'm never going to leave you. No, no. More than likely, this is probably a meeting like Joshua's like, like, like God, like I hear you speaking to me. Yeah, you want me to lead the people. You're never going to leave me nor forsake me. Like, like in the context of this isn't a public exposure. So then when God says to Joshua, he says, I want you to be strong for the other people for this people, because you're going to divide the inheritance and the land which I swore to their fathers. It's interesting, because he's not talking about strengthening himself just for himself's sake. He's talking about, as Joshua is a pace-setter, strengthening himself in God so that he has the strength and the ability to strengthen other people around him, because there's going to come a point in time if he stays in the current where he's going to be able to divide up the spoils that come from God. I know that's deep and you can keep thinking about it, but the second thought that I have for you that he says is in verse 7. God says to Joshua, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do you know what God said to Joshua, and I just paraphrase this in the way that I read it now in the context of post-cross Jesus, spirit-filled? He's saying, guys, if you want to stay in the current, one way that you strengthen yourself is by staying in this. He says, do not turn away from it day and night. And And here's the thought. He's not just saying, hey, guys, remember to read your Bible. He's saying, be strong and courageous in staying close to the Word of God. If God is saying be strong and courageous in staying close to the Word of God, my assumption and my reading and just from just my short time of being a Christian, 
I understand that there is warfare that comes against my time of reading the Word of God. So what God is saying is, man, you need to strengthen up. You, you need to bulk up. You need to do whatever it is to fight the good fight so that you can actually get in here because it's going to be a battle and you need to be strong. The next time that I hear him talk about be strong is in verse 9. He says, have I not commanded you, Joshua? Remember, Joshua's setting the pace for his community. God's in this dialogue with Joshua. Have I not commanded you? Be strong, courageous, but do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. When you're in the current of God, there will be times where seasons of fear will try and come against you. We have to remember that Joshua had already been into the promised land. He'd already seen the promises. He'd already seen the prophetic destiny that God spoke about to the forefathers and to Moses and had the ability to go in with Caleb and see this, that this new season. But do you remember when they came out of the promised land? They stood up and they said, hey, this is great. There's a few really tall dudes that like are on steroids and they're massive but it's okay, God's on our side and we've got them. I'm joking, by the way. (laughs) When God said to Joshua, be strong and courageous and of good courage, do not be dismayed, for I am with you. You know, I believe God was saying to Joshua, strengthen yourself because the place you're about to go is bigger than you can even perceive. And understand that the people around you might try and pull you down. They might try and diminish. They actually might get fearful and be strong so that you don't fall or succumb to the fear that they succumb to. Because what happens then is you desire to jump out of the boat. And the moment that you jump out of the boat, the moment that you lose your faith, the moment that you step away from the plan of God, the moment that you you, you lose your strength is the moment that you start floundering. And then it's like, I need another church, I need another pastor, I need another connect group, I need another prayer team. Letitia's deliverance didn't work or or all these things happen when really it's our responsibility to be strong. I I know time's going, but I I really want to get here with this. If I were to give you one thought and what it is, God is first of all saying, don't jump ship because breakthrough is at hand. Remember Isaiah 55, our ways are not his ways, it's his ways are not our ways. God, I'm in your current. God, I'm holding on to your boat. God, I'm floating. You know, it took us about 35 minutes to float up the Narang River. And then when we got there, it wasn't like, cool, there was a boat waiting for, a trailer waiting for us. I had to call an Uber and make sure the Uber had like a, a, a car seat in it, which, which may or may not have worked. And then, and, and then I had to go back to the Southport boat ramp to get my car and the boat trailer and then come back to Bud's Beach again. Like, like, like sometimes, even when you're in the current, things just don't go to plan. But it doesn't mean that he's ever left you nor forsake you. It doesn't mean that you've stepped outside of the current. It just means that things probably weren't as you perceived them. But remember, he is God and we are not. His ways are not our ways, as our ways are not his ways. And that's not just to give like God a get out of jail free card because he's God. He gave his best. He laid down his son's life for us so that we could walk back into right relationship with him. 
so that when you're a loser and you're pushing signs out into the middle of the road from a church who's trying to worship God, that one day you have an opportunity to have a second chance to come back and say yes to Jesus. And maybe the second, maybe the third, maybe the fourth, maybe the fifth chance is the chance that you need to get it. That he can then change so many courses of families and directions and destinies. I want to tell you, I don't know who I'm speaking to, and there's even even in my notes, but I feel like God is saying, don't jump ship. You know, the one point that I've got here, and I'm going to quote someone so you won't get offended at me. I can tell you who it was later. But I would say, how do you stay strong is is don't lose faith. Hebrews 11.6, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. Let me say that like this, without faith, it's impossible to stay in his current. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is a rewarder and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Here's the part I was just referring to. Some people are lazy. It's just a fact, which is why they never see anything accomplished in their lives. It's why they blame the lack of success on this or, uh, and that and everything else but themselves. Uh, but God is no respecter of persons. What he does for one, he will do for another. The key factors that make the difference are not about God, but it's about the person's level of determination and his or her willingness to do whatever it takes necessary to stay in the boat, that's my language, to achieve the goal. It may be a hard fact to face, but ultimately we are responsible for the success or the lack of success that we have in staying in the current or staying in the boat. We all possess the same promise. We all possess the same faith the same power, the same spirit, the same Jesus who sits at the right hand of God and makes intercession for us as Hebrews 7.25 says, the main thing that determines who succeeds and who doesn't succeed is our attitude to make a decision to be strong and stay in the boat. You have to want to succeed in order to get it. It doesn't float on the clouds. It takes hard work to achieve it. Because most people are willing to do only average. They'll only ever receive or reap average results. To achieve super results, one must do super work. Be deeply committed to the task and only willing to do whatever is necessary to realize the goals and aspirations. See here, this Hebrews 11.6 says that God is a rewarder of them who diligently seek Him. According to this verse, even even God rewards diligence. In fact, he only rewards those who diligently seek him, which means people who are lazy, lethargic, and do nothing, have a take-it-easy attitude, probably won't advance as fast as those who are diligently seeking him. Whew, this is harsh. I'm feeling it. This verse says that God rewards the diligent seeker. Diligence is required for any success. When God was saying to Joshua, Joshua, you need to be strong and courageous, he was saying, Joshua, you've got to be diligent. Don't jump off the boat. Keep the faith. And I love someone that's just been an inspiration to me recently. Rick Renner said this, this phrase, diligently seek, in Hebrews 11.6, is taken from the Greek word. I'm not going to try and pronounce it. It's like Ezekiel. And it carries the entire range of power-packed meanings. It means to be zealous, 
to zealously seek for something with all of one's heart, strength, and might. It presents a picture of one who seeks something so passionately and determinedly that he literally exhausts everything within himself to find it in the search. This tells us that Hebrews 11:6 means that God is a rewarder of those who put all of their heart, all of their strength, and all of their might into seeking Him. Those who are committed in their search to finding Him will exhaust all natural powers in their search for Him. They are the ones who will find what they are seeking for. I wrote this as I was praying the other day. God has established this church in this city. We're currently in His current holding on to the sides of the boat. The city needs the sound of this church to be heard. I was going to talk to you about not quenching the spirit, but the atmosphere doesn't feel right. You know, I want to read something as we finish. I know the atmosphere feels like this, but I feel like the spirit of God's touching some hearts. You know, when I first read this, when I wrote this and prayed over this this morning the other week, I felt such a conviction in my heart because I'm usually like, come on, let's seek God, let's worship, let's lift our hands up. Like, But it shouldn't be about someone else saying, hey, come on, it should be a heart's desire to strengthen ourselves in Him because we can be like just one of the Israelites we can be like Joshua's and Caleb's, people that are positive, people that are strong, people that are world changers. And can I just say this? God loves to use the unlikely suspects. I'm going to finish with this. And the scripture says this, and I loved uh, Ben from Transformations. He's in our internship program highlighted this for me and it spoke to me there's a point in Luke chapter 24 where Jesus had uh, he'd obviously passed and he'd risen and it says in verse 13 and I'm just going to paraphrase a bit of it two of the disciples they were walking down the road to the village called Emmaus it was about seven miles away from Jerusalem and they were talking with each other about everything that happened they were discussing man Jesus he was with us he lived and then he died on the cross and they at this stage didn't know anything about anything else that had gone on. And, and it says here in verse 15, as they had discussed these things to each other, Jesus himself came. Like, like they were intimately in relationship with Jesus. It says Jesus himself came and walked along with them. But they, he kept, they were kept from recognizing him. They didn't know that it was Jesus. He asked them, he said, what are you guys discussing? What, what is it that you guys are talking about? They stood with their faces downcast and one of them kind of looked over Cleophas and asked, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these last days? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth. And then he goes on and talks about how he was a powerful prophet in word and deed and he did all sorts of miracles and the chief of priests handed him over to the rulers. He was nailed to the cross. And it is, as scripture says, the third day since this took place. In addition, some of the women were amazed and they went to the tomb early in the morning and they didn't find his body there. They came away and they told us they'd seen a vision of angels and who had said this. And then in verse 24, then some of our companions who went to the tomb and they found it just as the woman had said, 
but they did not see Jesus. In verse 25, he said to them, listen to this, Jesus said to them, who had not revealed that he was Jesus yet, how foolish you are and how slow to believe. All the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself in verse 28. And as they approached the village that they were going to, Jesus continued on or pretended that he was continuing on further. But they urged him strongly to stay with them. And it was nearly evening and the day had almost gone over. So he went in and stayed with them. Yeah, I feel like Jesus was actually saying to these guys, guys, have you so quickly jumped out of the boat? Don't you remember the prophets and the prophecies and what you were told about how the Messiah must suffer? And he's there with them on the third day, the day that Jesus said on the third day, parables that he would rise again. And this is what just, just, just got my heart. They urged him strongly. They said, come and stay with us for it is evening. and The day is almost over. When they were sitting at the table, Jesus took and he broke the bread and he gave thanks and began to give it to them. In verse 31, their eyes were opened and they recognized it was him. And in that moment, he disappeared. This is the part that got me. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning while he was with us and talking with us on the road as he opened up the scriptures with us? See, I want to tell you, friend, if you're in this room and you're thinking about jumping the boat, if you're thinking about jumping out of the ship, I want to tell you that is what's going to happen. I can tell you time and time again, every single time I stepped out of the, 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 the program of transformations, and this is my analogy to this scripture, uh, 12 times I came in and out of the program. And I know that when I was in the program, when I would come to this church, when I would get recovery, when I would get well, uh, I, just, there's a, just a supernatural thing that happens that you, you come underneath a grace, a hedge of protection, an umbrella. I can't even describe it and put it into words. It's like God puts something over you. But every single time I stepped out of that program, I could physically feel a supernatural lift of the covering of what I was under. And when I read this, I think about this, I think, man, not to say that the disciples had like disowned Jesus or stepped away, but they actually, in the presence of Jesus, the resurrected Christ, had, had, I guess, metaphorically almost kind of stepped out of the boat and were questioning, was this current even real? But then when they were in the presence, they didn't even realize it till he was gone that, man, it was about everything. Jesus was everything and everything he said was true. Would you stand with me this morning? You know, I've got good news and maybe better news. The good news is that if you have confessed that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that you believe in Him with your heart and you've confessed it with your mouth and you're saved. But I've got better news. If you're in this room and you've never accepted Jesus, that now is an opportunity for you to accept Him and actually step into this current of a blessed life, of a good life, of a healthy life that I've been speaking about 
To be saved is to have an assurance that you're in a relationship with God through the belief in Jesus and by making a public confession that yes, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. There are all sorts of ways we can do it in our bedroom, in our lounge room with friends, but just for the sake of the context of where we're at today, we're about to pray a prayer. It's a prayer of invitation. We're inviting Jesus into our heart. It's also a prayer of confession where we're gonna confess that we know we've fallen short. The Bible says in Romans that when we believe in our heart that Jesus is the Son of God and we confess it with our mouth, the scripture says we will be saved. So you're gonna have an opportunity to do that and we're all gonna pray this. And at the end, I'm simply gonna ask if you made a decision for the first time that you just give us a show of hands. We just wanna celebrate you. And we wanna give you a, a book. This one's entitled Literally Following Jesus. Pastor John's down at a desk down the back and we wanna meet with you and just help you with the journey of what that decision looks like. Uh, are we okay? Is everyone good? So why don't we pray? Come on, every guy closed and every head bowed in this room. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you came and that you lived. You died on the cross, but you rose again on the third day. In the shedding of your blood, you paid the price for my sins. I acknowledge that I've sinned and fallen short. And today, I ask your forgiveness and I say thank you for that forgiveness. I invite you into my heart and all of my world. I pray that you would reveal yourself to me from this day forward as I step into your current. Jesus, I give you my life right now. Amen, amen.